this worship service, and we hope that this service will bring you the courage and the strength that you'll need for this coming week. My father has a very interesting subject. It's concerning the world before the flood, the world which is now and the world to come. The title is The Three Worlds of Holy Scripture. Of these three worlds, one is past, one is here, one is yet to come. The Creator of the universe is not caught by surprise. He knows what's coming. To him there is no unknown future beyond the present with its sorrow and war and trouble. He sees the blessed accomplishment of his own merciful purpose. It is written in Deuteronomy 32.4, his work is perfect. The Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ, was associated with the Heavenly Father in the creation of the world. This we read definitely in John 1, verses 1 to 3. All things were made by him. 
and without him was not anything made that was made. Man was created as an intelligent being. His happiness depended upon his perfect union with the principles of righteousness. This earth and the beauty of its original creation was given to him. It was his dominion under God, as we read in Genesis, the first chapter. Now, law is founded on moral principles. It's so with the law of God. When the first angel was created, his responsibility was love to his Creator. This was true also of the first man, Adam. Love to God was the fundamental principle of his life. As soon as Eve was created, love to each other was added. This principle of love underlies the law of God and goes out in two directions, love toward God and love toward man. Therefore, says the apostle, love is the fulfilling of the law. Romans 13.10. As long as love was the guiding principle of life, there were peace and harmony in God's universe. The earth was beautiful as it came from the hand of the Creator, nothing to mar it, no sin, sorrow, pain, death, or destruction, or war. But a change came, a shadow fell over the earth. Sin first changed man, then the world. For the wages of sin is death, we're told in Romans 6.23. The human race began to collect the wages. Man was cast out of the home of his creation. God placed an angel guard about the tree of life in order that man should not partake of it and thus immortalize sin. As we read in Genesis 3.22, while the sentence of death passed upon man and he became subject to its ravages, the spark of life was so strong in him that it took centuries for him to die. Adam lived 930 years, Methuselah 969. In those days when men lived hundreds of years, the fear of death had little restraint upon them. Because of Adam's sin, God placed a curse upon the earth. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Genesis 3:17. Hard labor was now necessary, and as such was ennobling. A discipline rendered necessary to place a check upon wrong, develop self-control. Think of it. For nearly a thousand years, Adam could repeat to his descendants the story of Eden and the story of his fall. But... Men neglected or rejected God and went deeper and deeper into sin and apostasy, in rebellion, until the last violence filled the earth, as we read in Genesis, the sixth chapter. And God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Noah, one of the direct descendants of Adam, warned the inhabitants of this first world for a hundred and twenty years, but he was mocked. At last they passed the bounds of God's forbearance, and the great flood came. The Apostle Peter, speaking of it, says in 2 Peter 3, 6, The world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Before the flood there had been no rain. The earth was watered by a mist which arose from the earth. In Genesis 7 we learn that the Lord caused it to rain on the earth, and all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. The waters above joined the waters that broke through the crust of the earth. At last the flood ceased. The waters receded from the earth into vast oceans and mighty seas. Clouds arose from these bodies of water, the sun's rays falling upon the drops of the ensuing showers, painted upon that dark background the seven-colored arch of the rainbow. God says that when he looks upon the rainbow, he will remember his everlasting covenant. 
between himself and every living creature that the earth will never again be destroyed by a flood of water. Genesis 9.16 The flood of Noah's day changed the face of the entire world. We see its results in the fossil-bearing strata of many ranges of uplifted mountains and great plains over all the earth. We shall call the world before the flood world number one. It was not annihilated, but it perished as a beautiful world. Now we come to the next phase, the world which now is in which we live. Quoting Second Peter 3, 7, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word, that is the word of God that created the world and brought the flood upon it, are kept in store, reserved unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The first world came to its end in a flood of waters. The second will come to an end in a flood of fire. We describe also here in the Scriptures what will come to pass just before then. Notice the effects of time on the earth and the curse. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall all wax old as doth a garment. As a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. Hebrews 1.10 This is the destiny of our world with the atmospheric heavens around it. It will wax old as doth a garment. So with our earth swinging through space with a curse upon it. Earthquakes shatter its crust. Volcanoes erupt it destructively. Tornadoes and hurricanes sweep across its surface. Its protective atmosphere becomes polluted with the gases and poisons of man's industrial revolution. And people all over the earth today are compelled to breathe the radioactive particles from nuclear explosions. We must not be pessimistic, for we're Christians. Though the visible marks of the curse are upon the earth, its beauties are still so marked that life is enjoyable. Noble deeds are performed. Self-sacrificing individuals still bring their blessing to the world and God's benediction upon those who love and serve him. Even now, life is worth living in this second world. But the word of God declares... As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Jesus said that. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The words of Jesus in Matthew 24. There's nothing wrong in eating and drinking. Proper times, nothing wrong in marriage or being betrothed, but in the days of Noah these things were carried to extreme. There was no time for God's work. People paid no attention to the preaching of God's servant or the signs which were all about them. Later on, before the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, similar conditions existed. For Jesus said, As it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, 28. There it is, business as usual. Nothing wrong buying, selling, planting, building. But to carry these things for merely selfish ends is to wind up with idleness, intemperance, licentiousness, like that in the days of Noah. The Apostle James says there will be a great heaping up of treasure for the last days with vast dislocations of labor and management. Read it for yourself in James 5. 
The release of water stored up in the earth and in the atmosphere brought an end to the world number one. And fire stored up in the earth in the very heart of the atom will be the element of destruction for world number two. But why does God wait? Why doesn't he bring an end to evil at once and start over again? Here is your answer in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, for not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You might ask yourself, have we ever come to repentance personally? In a small country church, a well-to-do man had been for years the leading elder. They were looking for a new minister, and this elder always interviewed each minister who preached as a candidate. Finally, there came a truly born-again man, and his sermon was on repentance. After the service, this elder said to him, I dislike very much hearing our people called sinners. Are you a Christian, sir? asked the minister. Of course I am, came the reply. Then you were a sinner and sought Christ for salvation? Oh, no, I never was a sinner. Well, then it's impossible for you to be a Christian, because it was sinners whom Christ came to save. Speaking of his mission, Jesus said, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There in Matthew 9, 13. Soon this second world will pass away, be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, All heaven is waiting. Thousands of earnest men are laboring that every sinner should come to repentance. The day, the hour, the minute, the second will finally come when the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise or explosion, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also. Also what? Answer, shall melt with fervent heat like the elements, not burn up. What then shall be consumed? Answer, the works that are therein shall be burned up. Every scar of sin, all the evidences of evil through the ages will pass away. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all manner of holy living and godliness? Man himself seems to have discovered some new elements. Yes, the elements will melt with fervent heat then. Yes, he's even made some new elements by fervent heat and nuclear fission. It's heat that's manifested instantaneously in a moment. So it will be in the day that's coming. Notice the question, what manner of persons ought we to be? The restitution of the Edenic world will be complete. There will be new heavens and a new earth. The former will pass away. This will be world number three. World number one is gone. World number two is here. World number three is about to come. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. A certain doctor noticed his patient seemed to have great peace of heart. The doctor himself was not satisfied with his spiritual life. He said to his patient, I wish you'd tell me how to have faith in Jesus so I can find the peace that you seem to have. The patient said, Well, doctor, it's like this. I've felt that I could do nothing in my own case and have put my life in your hands. I'm trusting in you and what you can do for me. This is exactly what every poor sinner must do. He must trust in the Lord Jesus. The doctor did just that. And so may you and I, and then someday, by his grace, we too may sing the song of heaven and homeland. Sometimes I hear strange music like none ever. 
Oh, sweet, sweet celestial music. 